hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! Go! Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. I'm Adam Jacquez, joined as always by Tyler Burton. Uh, we're into week two. It's SMU week. OU has probably one of the most impressive performances of really any team out there that played an FBS opponent, even if it was a team that might not be one of the best out there. But OU uh, comes out on top on week one uh, from a wide margin. But Tyler, we've got a lot to dive into tonight. But how are you uh, this evening? I'm doing good, man. Coming off of a weekend where Oklahoma takes care of business, 73 to nothing over Arkansas State. And Adam, they did exactly what we talked about on this episode a week ago, where we wanted to see this team come out. We knew that Arkansas State was overmatched from the get-go. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma did what they were supposed to do. They dominated an inferior football team. They played good, clean, uh, physical football. And it was nice to see this team kind of come out and play with an edge. Uh, kind of feels like that's something that's been missing uh, for, from this group over the last couple of years. But it's clear that they had a chip on their shoulder. They came out, played with their hair on fire, and uh, took care of business. And it's on to the Mustangs now, SMU week. SMU, a big week, a 5 o'clock kickoff, kind of an unusual time. Unfortunately, it lines up with all the, really the good games of the day. So many uh, good games. Yeah. And some people I've heard are, uh, are not even going to watch this game, not even going to watch a football game. Yeah, I'm not going to have a chance to watch any of the nightcap, uh, unfortunately. Um, I'm, I'm blaming Morgan Wallen. Uh, we had tickets to uh, – we're actually – I'm going to blame this on the fact that we're – I've lived in Colorado for almost a year now. Uh, uh, prime time, the Buffs, they finally win a football game. They're going to Nebraska uh, – or, excuse me, they're playing Nebraska this week, and then we're actually making the trip up to Lincoln uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, going to go see Morgan Wallen in concert on Saturday. Um so, again, a little bit of a sour taste, especially when you've got OU, SMU, you've got Alabama, Texas, Miami, uh, Texas A&M. So many good games on the slate for week two. But it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully uh, it's going to be a good experience. Going get to ch- get a chance to watch uh, a lot of college football, especially the CU-Nebraska game at a bar in Lincoln. So haven't quite made the decision if I just want to go buy a Colorado shirt just to wear it up there. Uh, maybe I'm signing my own de- death certificate. But, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited with uh, some of the storylines and a lot of what Week 2 has to offer. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's talk national scene here in a second. But before we jump into that, let's cover this Arkansas State game. Yeah. We won't go into you know super long detail about that because everybody's talked about that at this point. Um, we're going to focus more of our attention on SMU and, and looking ahead at this point since we're at Tuesday already. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into what we're calling our hoisting the Jolly Roger or walking the plank, our stock up or stock down segment uh, presented by CrimsonCaptain.com. If you're not already familiar with this site, this is one of the newer – OU sites out there that's going to give you a lot of great info on the recruiting scene. Uh, lots of updates. We saw several come out today. Um, one most recently on uh, Eddie Pierre-Louis. I'm not sure if I'm Ooh. saying his name right. But, yeah. Uh, a top 50 uh, offensive lineman uh, out of the state of Florida. Some uh, some notes there. So make sure you're checking out the crimsoncaptain.com. Some really good intel there. Some great film breakdown analysis and uh the Discord access. The Discord access might be my favorite part of, of CrimsonCaptain.com. It's on fire right now. Yeah, lots of interesting stuff in there uh, for Sooner fans. So make sure you check out CrimsonCaptain.com. Uh, but Tyler, I'll give you the floor here first. 
Who's going to hoist the Jolly Roger? And again, this, for listeners, this is, could be a player, could be a coach, could be really anything. Uh, could be OU-related, could be national-related. Who's hoisting the Jolly Roger this week? For me, it's the wide receiver position as a whole. That entire group coming into this upcoming year, we talked about it all offseason. You lose Marvin Mims, the only two players that are coming back with you know any type of experience playing at this level. Uh, is a Drake Stoops, is a Jalil Farouk, and there were so many question marks. We knew that we had a lot of guys, a lot of playmakers, a lot of uh, a lot of players that have the opportunity to you know get snaps and make plays uh, this season. And you know, I I really you, for me the biggest takeaway here it was the guys that we wanted to see make plays. They finally took that next step and they they were able to uh, you know shine brightly on on Saturday. And it starts for me with Jaden Gibson. You know, two two catches, fifty four yards, a touchdown. Both of his receptions were highly competitive catches. I think that the biggest thing for him, not just his play, you know, not just the two acrobatic plays on Saturday, but what this has got to do for this kid's confidence. You know, he kind of took a um, maybe some unfair criticism a year ago. You know, had a couple of drops in the spring game as recently as a few months ago. Uh, I think that the the play that he had on Saturday, just what this is going to do for this kid's psyche in terms of confidence, um, expect Jaden Gibson to take another step moving forward. Like you see with Andre Anthony there, expecting a lot of things from this kid, the transfer out of Michigan. He's got the CD pose after celebrating a big-time catch. It was fun to see that. Looked a little similar with some of those deep balls, uh, but but talking about some of the good things that Andre Anthony was able to do, Nick Anderson, another one of those you know sophomores that was – uh, two catches, 68 yards. He had the big 52-yarder down the sideline. Um, and then my favorite, possibly performer, wasn't the flashiest, but guys, a uh, guy that we got to see a lot of run, Jaquez Petaway, a team-high nine catches for 56 yards. Uh, Jeff Levy, Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold being very creative with how they were able to distribute the football out there to number 17. So, I mean, it's the entire wide receiver position for me. I, I like what we saw on Saturday. It's going to be a huge uptick in competition as the year continues to progress. But you've got to like what you saw from those six, seven, eight guys on Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch this group moving forward. Yeah, you alluded to it. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you're seeing all the highlights as we're talking about all this. And we're just running through every single highlight from the game. And almost all of them are wide receivers making plays. They were all over the place. It wasn't just one or two guys. Everybody was getting in on the action, which was really great to see. It wasn't really, I mean, other than Farouk, I guess. I mean, everyone was was there, was contributing. Um, so you weren't sitting here today wondering, well, I don't know, Gibson still hasn't shown us something. Like he showed us a lot on Saturday, which is really awesome. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so tons of plays from wide receivers. I'm going a little bit of a different angle with my hoisting the Jolly Roger. I'm going with someone that actually didn't play at all on Saturday. I'm going with Gavin Sawchuck. And the reason I'm going stock up here is because I think and, and you know, like we talked about here on these highlights, you're not seeing a lot of running backs getting in on the action here as we actually watch a touchdown uh, from Marcus Major. But the longest run of the day was, I think, 16 yards from Javante mm-hmm. Barnes. So we just didn't see anyone that was able to bounce, you know, a, a run past that initial wave of defenders into the secondary. Uh, we weren't able to see anybody really out in the open field whatsoever. And... You know, while Barnes and Walker and Major are kind of guys that will will run through you and run over you a little bit, Solchuk brings a totally different angle uh, to that backfield. And so mm-hmm. I feel like his stock just went up by virtue of seeing what everyone else is and knowing what we saw from Solchuk against Florida State last year. So it sounds good. It sounds like he's going to play this weekend against SMU, and I think OU's really going to want 
what he brings to the backfield of just something that's totally different uh, than anyone else there. Well, and I think you said it best when you talk about some of the elite, you know, all-time running backs, you know, you, you talk about Billy Sims, Billy Vessels, DeMarco, you know, Joe Mixon, Adrian Peterson, they all had the ability to make the big play. Yes, the, they have the opportunity, you know, to lower their shoulder, fight for those tough physical yards, but they also have the opportunity to take it to the house on any given carry. And I think that that's something that Gavin Sawchuk um, is going is gonna to have in common with those guys. You know, uh, Javante Barnes, you know, 13 for 53, just a hair under four yards per carry. I actually thought that Tawi Walker, I know that there were a lot of expectations on this kid coming in, what he was going to look like, the walk-on. It's a tremendous story. Uh, eight for 44, two touchdowns. He actually averaged five and a half yards a carry. And, you know, we, we got to see a couple of the true freshmen, you know, in Caleb Hicks and, you know, Dalen Smothers. And I think it just kind of goes to show, it really just kind of highlights to the fact that what we've kind of felt like we've known all offseason – uh, coming into this fall, and it's the fact that DeMarco Murray, just what he's done over the last two recruiting cycles in elevating the play in that room. Now, we didn't get a chance to see Gavin Sawchuck. If you listen to Brent Venables and Jeff Levy over the last 24 hours, sounds like he's close. He is going to be playing this upcoming weekend, and you just throw Gavin Sawchuck, you know, a true home run hitter, into a stable of running backs that, you know, you, you go from one to five, you're really not seeing much of a drop-off, and these are guys that are only going to get better as the season goes on. And when you talk about the kind of offense that Jeff Levy likes to run, where, you know, it's predicated upon, you know, running the football down your throat and then scoring from far, making the big plays down the field, you want to have five, six guys that you can trust and rely on to hand the football off to over this 12, 13, hopefully even a 15-game season. Uh, but, yeah, I liked what I saw out of the running backs, and I'm very excited to see what Gavin Stalchuk is going to do this upcoming weekend against SMU. Who's walking the plank for you, Tyler? You know, there's, uh, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, you you win a game 73 to nothing. There's not really any dark spots that you can really highlight. I know that there's been a lot of, you know, talk made about the the defensive line's performance. You know, we didn't we didn't get, you know, a huge amount of pressure on the quarterback. We didn't see very many tackles for loss. There was only one sack on the day. But, Adam, Arkansas State only had 48 rushing yards collectively as a team. And, they, and this is a defensive line that held Arkansas State – to two yards per carry, that's going to get it done. I don't care. I don't care if you if you have one sack. I don't care if you have ten in a game. If you can stop the run and hold a team to less than two yards of carry, you're going to win that football game nine times out of ten, unless you're Clemson, uh, as we saw last night. Uh, but yeah, I, I I guess you go defensive line here. But again, you go back and you rewatch this game. A lot of seven eight man protections. A lot of quick game uh, from what Arkansas State was trying to do on offense. It really didn't give the defensive line an opportunity to really pin their ears back and get after the passer. Um, and I think that that's something that uh, you're going to see Oklahoma. If if you really want to get a good estimate of what this defensive line is going to be, I think you get a better idea of that this upcoming weekend against SMU uh, with what the Ponies like to do offensively. On Saturday, I would have 100% agreed with you, thinking that, yeah, that defensive line didn't show me anything on Saturday, and I wasn't ready to just chalk it up to Arkansas State and their scheming and the way that they were getting rid of the ball quickly. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't on board with that. In fact, I even went and did some research. I said, hey, lots of teams are playing overmatch opponents. Georgia did, Michigan did, you know, Auburn, so on and so forth. And I was like, I want to see how many sacks those teams got because all of those mm-hmm. overmatch teams that they were playing – we're probably running the same similar types of game plans that Arkansas State was where just survive and get out of there. And what I found actually was surprising. There wasn't a lot of big sack numbers. I think maybe Alabama had three against uh, Middle Tennessee State, but Michigan, mm-hmm. for example, had zero against East Carolina. A lot of teams had one or two. Oh, you had just one. I think it was 
think I want to say in the fourth quarter with Ethan down. Mm-hmm. So it took a while to get there, but yeah, I would have agreed with you on, on that early, but now that I've had some time to digest and think about this a little bit further, I'm not worried yet. Um, I'm still obviously watching that very closely. And I, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. they'll have a lot of opportunities against SMU. Well, and Adam, let's not forget about it too. The defense only played 50 snaps uh, on Saturday over the course of a full game. And, you know, they had six three and outs. Uh, so the defense played extremely well. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this before we kind of put a bow on Arkansas State. There were there was a lot of talk coming out of this one. I mean, everybody wants to play the comparison game. You know, is this team better than they were a year ago? What's the uh, does this team project to have a much higher ceiling uh, from what we saw Saturday to you know what their position could be in terms of the Big Twelve championship in terms of a college football playoff? To me, size and speed, and I don't want fans to jump the gun because even though yes, it was a great game, you win it by seventy plus points, but for me, the jury is still out on how good this football team can and will be. And I think that we're going to get a much better look at it this weekend. SMU presents some challenges, particularly on offense, with their schemes and their athleticism. But I do think it is fair uh, to say that when you look at Oklahoma game one this season compared to Oklahoma game one a year ago, there's definitely some positive differences uh, when you just look at the overall makeup of this team, the size, the speed, uh, the comfort—you know, the the comfort level uh, on both offense and defense—and it seems like these guys are, you know, playing a much higher brand of football, at least you know, week one uh, compared to week one a year ago. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I guess at the end of the day, my walk the plank, and again, like you mentioned, it's hard to find someone that you weren't really impressed with, but. Austin Stogner, I don't think, had a, uh, a single target the entire day. Nope. Um, I think Blake Smith were all kind of high on and kind of had probably bigger expectations from what Blake <laughs> Smith could provide blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a, a nice reception on Saturday. So I, I'm just wondering, like, and, and we asked this maybe yeah. a couple weeks before the season started, people's expectations for Stogner. Everyone was like, yeah, 400 yards, seven touchdowns. And, like, if you're not racking up some of those stats against one of your worst opponents, like, I... I I don't think he's going to come close to that at this point. So Here, here's what I'll say on that. Yeah, here's what I'll say on that, though, Adam. If if this Oklahoma offensive line is as good as what they you know played on Saturday, if they can be that way over the course of the regular season, and if this wide receiving core can continue to build on the performance that we saw three days ago where you've got a Farouk, you've got Anthony Soups, Freeman, Anderson, Gibson, so on and so forth, I don't think you're going to see too many instances over the course of a game where you're going to see Austin Stogner really have an opportunity to make some catches. Yeah, I think that they're going to get creative, especially when you start game planning against certain teams and what other opposing defenses do well. But for the most part, if you've got a solid uh, offensive line and you've got a a steady stable of wide receivers that you can go five, six, seven deep, I think you're going to see a lot of four wide uh, over the course of this season. Dylan Gabriel making plays down the field, forcing the ball deep into the secondary. Uh, and then, you know, it, once you, you know, maybe get into third and short or you get into the red zone, then you start to see Austin Stogner become more of a factor. But it's one game. We'll see how it plays out. SMU will be a nice test for him this upcoming weekend. Yeah, definitely one game. Although, and, and everyone wants to dismiss, oh, you played a terrible opponent. It means nothing. Again, lots of teams play terrible opponents in week one. Almost nobody did what OU did. Texas Tech played a terrible opponent. Baylor played a terrible Wyoming's opponent. Wyoming's pretty we, solid. It's I, Wyoming. I, no, I'm not, and again, not is a re- respectable conference. Hey, good. Yeah. they're a good football team. I mean, they beat, took Texas Tech to the woodshed in overtime. That was a really fun game yeah. for all those that you know stayed up and made the effort. But, but I'm know. just talking about like, you know, Alabama played Middle Tennessee State. They didn't do what OU did. 
Like, no. th- there's plenty of examples that are are similar to that of oh, they played a Conference USA team or a Sun yeah. Belt team. Um, you know, Auburn played yeah. UMass. They they I, mean, I know Auburn's not really the competition or measuring stick for OU, sure. but lots of teams played those types of programs, and OU had by far and away the best game. The the sad part in about Butch Jones, which again, there's no there's no sad part. He you know he deserves every bit of what came his way on Saturday, but it was just kind of a bad recipe overall for Arkansas State. They ran into a buzzsaw. They ran into an Oklahoma team that spent the last eight nine months hearing about how bad they were a year ago. Uh, they don't they don't have what it takes. You know that Brent Venables is not the guy. They clearly came out played with a chip on their shoulder and they kind of took their anger out uh, on Arkansas State over the course of four quarters. And you just hope that the chip on their shoulder that that intensity, that level of physicality, that continues to uh, you, you know to show as Oklahoma you know plays some of these better, more competitive teams as we get into conference play, and we may not even have to wait that long. I think the, for anybody that had a chance to watch some SMU highlights against the Louisiana Tech, really study what the Ponies are doing. SMU is going to be a better test than what I think a lot of fans are giving them credit for as they come into Norman on Saturday. Yeah, I guess let's chat a little bit more about what happened nationally. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. There, there's so many interesting, even though there were a lot of dud matchups, a lot of teams playing cupcakes, there were still some really mm-hmm. good games. You know, LSU got run over by Florida State in the second half. Yes, Clemson got run God. over by Duke in the second half. Um, lots of interesting games, but what caught your eye from a national perspective, Tyler? I think Spencer Rattler just got sacked again for the 10th time uh, by, by he, the Tar Heels. He gets slower and slower every year, it seems. Like, his athleticism in the pocket is not... not and, you know, good. I didn't think he played necessarily that bad. It was just kind of a... He was just kind of the a consequence of playing he's, behind a mediocre offensive line. Not that good. No, not at all. But, yeah, you just look around some of the things in the country. I mean, the biggest story in college football right now, Deion Sanders and what Colorado's doing, uh, you know, going down to Fort Worth and beating, you know, TCU and kind of a – it was kind of an old-school Big 12 game, just kind of a track meet going back and forth. And I I knew that – again, I I can look like an idiot, and there's a lot of people after this past weekend that are looking like idiots with some of their takes about Colorado. I didn't think that that was a team that had the – the the makeup physically particularly on the offense and defensive lines to compete with the TCU for four straight quarters but i mean they had the you could make the claim adam that TC, that colorado had the advantage at quarterback they had the advantage at skill talent and over the course of four you know four quarters they just flat out whipped uh, TCU and again you look at what you- Travis Hunter did playing 120 plus plays both sides of the ball i mean CU is going to be a lot of fun to watch. The Pac-12 as a whole this year, it's not just two or three teams. You've got six, seven teams, especially when you look at what DJ and Oregon State did on Sunday. It's going to be a fun conference to watch. This is going to sound like me, I guess, tearing apart TCU. But last year we looked at what happened against Georgia with TCU and just chalked it up as, oh, it's Big 12 versus SEC. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just how it is. And I kind of think... Well, it's more that TCU really actually wasn't that good. They had probably one of the luckiest years to get to where they were in that national championship game. Yeah, Credit to them. They won you know, all their games other than that Big 12 championship game against K-State. But they played virtually everybody's backup quarterback in the second half of almost every Big 12 game. Mm-hmm. They, they won games in overtime. They won games in clutch time. Um, you know, They had great quarterback play. They had a lot of clutch performances. Mm-hmm. They lost a lot of those guys. Um, and, and then I think it turned out that, oh yeah, they were actually playing against the worst OU team in two decades. They were, you know, Texas is still, you know, was still somewhat laughable Mm -hmm. last year, uh, in some senses. So they had a very easy path to get there and they used a lot of luck to get to that national championship game. And now I think it's more of, 
okay, they're kind of what they are now. We're starting to see that. And Colorado is improved, but I'm not ready to say Colorado's making a bowl game or anything like that. No. You you look at the way that that game turned into. Um, TCU found themselves in that type of game four, five, six times a year ago. Yep. They were just the team that made the, the that made the last play of the game to eventually win it and you go on to a college football no playoff. No Duggan anymore. And no Duggan anymore, no Quentin happens. Johnson. I mean, and again, you got to give Colorado credit where credit's due. Not many people expected them to go into Fort Worth and, you know, put up, you know, 50 points on them. Shadur Sanders throw for 500-plus yards. Travis Hunter do what he did. Dylan Edwards, I think, is not fast. getting enough credit. Dude is fast. Uh, with what he's able to do with the ball in his hands, didn't have too didn't have too much success, you know, toting the rock uh, out of the backfield. But whatever he, I think he caught like what four or five passes for 130 plus yards and, and scored three or four touchdowns. So uh, Colorado is going to be very fun to watch. And again, I, I said in the preseason, I didn't expect them to make a bowl game. I didn't expect them to win three, four, five games. But I do think that they have the ability, and I even feel more strongly about this now. They're going to ruin somebody's season. They're going to beat a USC, or they're going to go on the road. They're going to knock off a Washington. They're going to beat somebody that they're not supposed to. Um, I don't see them contending for the Pac-12 this year, not by any stretch of the imagination, but they're going to be a competitive football team week in and week out, I think, for the most part. They feel like the perfect team to get in a track meet with USC. (laughs) Oh, yes. I mean, just score a ton with them. Let me ask you about this game that just happened last night, Clemson and Duke. Everyone's talking about the downfall of Clemson and things like that. I think, I mean, they'll they'll figure their way back. It's it's mm-hmm. you can't judge a team on one performance. They'll they'll work their way back out. I mean, they're starting a new offense with a new coordinator there. Uh, Klubnik, I, you know, he looks like he has no weapons or help there. That offense, I think, lost in the game. I think people are talking it's a about. Dud. Yeah, I I think people are talking a lot about Riley Leonard because he's really the only Duke player that anyone could name before the game and still even after the game really. But the Duke offense was kind of like they, they were okay. They got strong there in the at the end in the fourth quarter, but they were yeah. kind of just okay for most of the game. So I feel like the Clemson defense is still strong. But I was thinking about this throughout the game. By the end of this year, if you're OU, would you trade? Do you think you'll be trading defenses with Clemson if you had the chance, or would you keep what Oklahoma has? Not in a future sense, but hey, here's who I want for my final game of the year. Whichever defense is stronger. I don't know that. I mean that that's a good question. Uh, you know, to kind of toss around, go back and forth with. Um, I think that the biggest the biggest takeaway for me when you when you look at uh, Clemson Duke from uh, last night, when was the last time that you saw Clemson not against a Miami or not against a Florida State, where it was pretty clear across the board that Duke was the more athletic team, as, they especially were hard some, hitting on defense. They too. were like, very they physical. Hard. Absolutely. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk today. A lot of people are ripping Dabo Sweeney, especially given the fact that it kind of feels like, especially when you saw DJ Uyunglele's performance at Oregon State on Sunday, it kind of felt like the Clemson ship started to go down last year. And DJ was just kind of the scapegoat that they passed all the blame onto. Well, now it looks kind of more and more like, you know, maybe Dabo's in a little bit of a trouble when you start talking about that Clemson dynasty, and then it goes into the uh, you, the talking point of, well, um, Clemson, Dabo, not really a big believer in, you know, building your roster or upgrading at key positions in the transfer portal. I don't think they've taken hardly any transfer portal guys at all in the last couple of years, and it's kind of 
And it's kind of coming back to bite them in the ass because you've got these other teams that are upgrading across the board. Yes, they're recruiting well. And I'm not saying that Duke is recruiting at a level Clemson is, but Duke or Florida State is a big one, for example. We'll talk about them here in a minute with LSU where they utilize the transfer portal to upgrade their roster at key positions to where, yes, you might not have as good of a, uh, as good of a team collectively by comparison to Clemson, but – you look at a Riley Leonard or you look at a couple of those wide receivers, a couple of those defensive tackles that Duke had last night, Duke wasn't getting those kind of guys over the last three to four years, but they've been active in the transfer portal, and it's kind of evening out the playing field across college football as a whole. I think Mike Elko might be the next head coach at Texas A&M. I feel like – I don't know that Jimbo's getting fired this year, but, I mean, he was at he was from Texas A&M. That's where he was defensive coordinator before going to Duke. He I might be the next like, head. He might be the next head coach at Florida. At Florida, man, Florida was rough. Yeah, th- I think that's kind of the story of the whole opening weekend is the disappointment of LSU, of Florida, of um, Clemson, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Even uh, you know from the Ooh. quarterback position, they looked a little bit rough against Indiana, um, Texas Tech. It just from the Big Twelve perspective, like Texas Tech falling, Baylor falling, Oklahoma State not looking good. Texas even was a little bit just. Odd, is, like kind of funky against. Rice. I didn't. I didn't have a chance to watch it. Is Gunner Gun? Is Gunner Gundy the starting quarterback in Stillwater now? So my take on on the whole OSU situation was yes, he came in and they went on two touchdown drives, but the running game also totally changed uh, by the yeah. time he came in at quarterback. And I don't know if that sure. was just them wearing down uh, Central Arkansas at that point, and. You know, they were able to rip off, you know, nine, ten yards at a time, and it made his job significantly easier. Um, it was kind of weird because Bowman honestly looked the worst out of all of them, and it seemed like he was the guy that was going to be the savior this year. Because I, I just don't know where you go with, with Gundy at this point. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's a corn dog. Maybe he's a Taylor Cornelius um, coming <laughs> back from 2018. And that OSU yeah. team was much better than this year's OSU team, but man, I, it just feels like there's so much opportunity in the Big 12 for OU to make their mark. Um, they're almost scheduled. They can, uh, again, it's one game for OU. It's one game for everybody pretty much, but it feels like OU is almost scheduled into that big 12 title game. You take your chances, you win that game. And then look at it nationally. Like if LSU is not as good, if Clemson is not as good, if Ohio state's not as good, like that's opening an opportunity for, for Oklahoma to go off and do something. And maybe you get that, that final opportunity where you, maybe you're matched up with someone who's not normally in the playoffs. Like, Washington or Utah or maybe Penn State who's not ready. I know they've got a lot of talent there, but someone who's just not used to being in those positions and maybe you, you try your luck sure. there. Uh, maybe I'll sound really silly, you know, five weeks from now when OU's got two losses, but it just feels like oh, opportunity. Oklahoma beats Arkansas State 73 to nothing. Adam is talking college football playoff berth potentially. That's, that's, that's where we're at right now at this point in the season, one week into it. Well, I'm not predicting it, and I didn't predict it before the year. Um, I didn't even predict OU in the Big 12 championship game, but mm-hmm. it's just I, I see the opportunity, and I want to take it before you know Ohio State is back, and it's like Ohio State, Georgia, Bama, and it's like, man, I just got to go through those three teams because that feels sure. near impossible. So sure, it's every sports writer's fever dream to have another 2007 um, year, <laughs> and if this is that year, I don't want OU you know missing out on that potential opportunity to no. maybe steal a national championship game when everybody else is down uh, mm-hmm. potentially, and you don't have to have as strong of a team to win it because. Um, you know, or you just, I mean, it's been since 2000, like we got to go off, we got to sure. make an impact and win something. So 
Anything else nationally before we uh, talk about SMU? No, there's a, there's a couple really good games this upcoming weekend, but I think that those games will be sprinkled into our betting cards here at the mm-hmm. end of this here at the end of the episode. So we'll talk about we'll save that for the very end. Let's talk some SMU. Yeah, let's do it. Offensively, I think everyone's kind of familiar with what the Mustangs are uh, are bringing to the table here. Yes. You've got guys like Preston Stone, a four star mm-hmm. recruit. You've got L.J. Johnson. You got Jalen Knight. You got Kamar Wheaton. All you know, power five level running backs that transferred uh, to SMU. You've got Jordan Hudson, the former wide receiver that OU. I think was he was committed to OU at one point, yep. ended up at TCU, is now at SMU. So there's skill position talent galore uh, for the uh, team coming out of Highland Park. Yeah, absolutely. And you can just tell from listening to Brent Venables, Ted Roof, Jeff Lebby at the podium this week that this is Oklahoma coaching staff really respects SMU and the caliber of football team that's coming up to Norman on Saturday. They, de- they defeated Louisiana Tech 38-14 to on Saturday, Rhett Lashley's group. Uh, starting this year off 1-0, and the Mustangs come to Norman on Saturday in what I think is going to be a pretty good uptick in competition. And I think it's going to be a good test for Oklahoma. Uh, this is a talented football team in SMU that, much like Oklahoma during the offseason, they used the transfer portal to upgrade their roster at some key positions. They signed about 25 guys out of the portal, uh, really upgraded the front seven. Uh, and you just look at the skill position, and Adam, I'm about to sneeze. Let's take it away real quick. <laughs> yeah, they're clearly a, a team that is utilizing their location to uh, really use that portal to to upgrade their talent. And I guess a team that is the what do they what did they call themselves the other day? The only team in the Dallas Metroplex that is in a power three or one of the top three conferences. Yeah, uh, kind of silly there from what Rat Lashley was saying. But yeah, a team that's got lots of talent. I'm not sure if. I'm buying the talent along the positions that matter most along the offensive line and defensive lines, but skill wise, like definitely some guys that will stretch this defense. And I thought Corey Rucker uh, was a guy for Arkansas state that was going to be able to test OU. Unfortunately, JT Shrout was a terrible quarterback. And when he did get it to his guys, they were all dropping passes, but I think Preston stone and company will do a little bit better job. Well, yeah, I mean, th- this is an up-tempo, high, you know, fast-paced offense that Red Lashley is going to trot out there on Saturday. He's definitely going to want to keep his foot on the gas. Quarterback Preston Stone, who was the number five dual-threat quarterback in his recruiting class, according to 247 Sports. Six foot one, just a hair over 215 pounds. Good, strong arm. He can hurt you with his legs. He's not a Kyler Murray or a Jailer Hurts by any of the stretch of the imagination, but he does have the ability uh, to burn you with his uh, burn you with his legs if you lose containment. He threw for 248 yards, three touchdowns against Louisiana Tech, and you just look at the skill talent, Adam. And I I put this tweet out on uh, on Saturday from the account. They've got two Division One running backs, and L.J. Johnson from Texas A&M. He went for a buck twenty-eight and a touchdown, averaged just over nine yards a carry against Louisiana Tech. Jalen Knighton, uh, the Miami transfer, shifty speedster, great quickness out in space, and then Jordan Hudson, a name that Oklahoma fans should know and remember. He made the longest play of the day, a sixty-seven-yard touchdown uh, on Saturday against Louisiana Tech, and a guy Adam that really doesn't get as much credit or get as much uh, of a light shined on him because there's so many good players on that offense it's the tight end six foot four 230 pound rj maryland really good pass catcher good hands smu likes to be very creative and utilize the versatility that comes with this kid's skill set i'll be very excited to watch him against this ou defense but for me adam there's three keys for Oklahoma's defense on Saturday, and they will they will hold up against SMU absolutely no problem. Number one for me, it's contain Preston Stone. Keep him in the pocket. Don't let him get outside and make plays with his legs. Number two, gang tackle. 
fly to the football, play with aggression, play with a level of physicality, build on what you did against Arkansas State. And number three for me, and this is the biggest one of all, limit the big plays. The only way that SMU gets into a four-quarter game against Oklahoma is if Oklahoma has breakdowns in coverage, if they can't limit the big plays, whether it's an L.J. Johnson running the football, whether it's Preston Stone throwing it over the top to Jordan Hudson. If Oklahoma can limit the big plays, keep everything in front of them, then Oklahoma should be just fine against this SMU Pony uh, offense on Saturday. Yeah, I think with Preston Stone, we have to remember that he was backing up Tanner Mordecai for two years. Yep, And now he's the full-time starter. I think this is probably the best time that OU could possibly face off against him because as he gets more experience, he's going to be uh, an even better player. Mm-hmm. So I like OU's odds here as really the first true test that Preston Stone's going to see in his career here. And yeah. like you mentioned, they relied heavily on the big play this past Saturday to not only just score, but move the ball in general. And so uh, I think that's going to play well in OU's favor here to, to be able to try mm-hmm. to limit them. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what he's able to do. I think we'll be able to find out some real answers about uh, what this defense, you know, what type of strides they made in the offseason. So mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, SMU, at least offensively, a better team than Nebraska last year, a better team than Kent State last year. So I think we will know a lot more after this game than we did after those first three games a year ago. Yes. Let's talk about defensively what OU is mm-hmm. going to be facing up against. Uh, I know probably the highlight that everyone saw was Corey Roberson, the former OU yeah. uh, defensive lineman, uh, batting a, a pass, intercepting it off the deflection and taking it to the house for a little <laughs> thick six there. Uh, but uh, what else should OU be looking for from uh, SMU? It's the Calvin Thibodeau revenge game. That's what we're <laughs> that's what we're calling it on this podcast. No, it's. Uh, Uh, it's a defense led by second-year defensive coordinator Scott Simmons. He brings a 3-3-5 concept to this Mustangs defense. No doubt about it, the strength of the defense is the front seven. And you can tell just by glancing at the stat sheet from their game against Louisiana Tech, 11 tackles for loss, six sacks, some familiar names like you alluded to, Corey Roberson. He had the pick six on Saturday. He's matched up nicely on that defensive line with the defensive end, Elijah Roberts, to go with experienced linebacker Alex Kilgore. For me, Adam, this simply comes down, when, when Oklahoma's offense is on the field, this simply comes down to Dylan Gabriel and the vertical passing attack against this SMU secondary. This SMU secondary really struggled at times a week ago, particularly against deep balls and making plays on receivers with uh, you know giving up uh, yards after the catch. I think this is going to be a big opportunity for Andre Anthony, Jaden Gibson, and Nick Anderson to build on the momentum and the performance that they had a week ago to make some of those big plays down the field. They're going to attack the secondary, and it's on Dylan Gabriel to be sharp like he was on Saturday against the Red Wolves. Yeah, I agree. Like with Anthony, with Anderson, with Gibson, it's okay. You did it once. Prove it to me again. Do it twice. Mm -hmm. Now I'll I'll know that, you know, you're legit. You're not just, hey, you were playing a bad team and you happen to get on the field against uh, inferior competition there. So what I'll want to see out of this offense really is come out of the gates fast and strong. Uh, We didn't see that very often last year. I think we saw it against Kansas, really, and against Oklahoma State in in conference play. And that was it. And obviously, he only won three games in conference play, so not a whole lot of opportunities for that. But I think think the success of this team, at least early on until we start feeling super confident in this defense, is, you know, boom, boom, like score on your first two possessions, defense get a three and out to stop, and all of a sudden the other team's looking around going, okay, like we're down two touchdowns, even if we're able to score with OU for the rest of the game, like we'll never be able to catch up. And it it just makes a a great position for this OU defense to be in. Uh, So 
if OU's offense can just really help out your defense uh, in that mm-hmm. fashion, I sure. think can be can be really key. And we've seen Jeff Levy have some great scripts uh, to start the game. We saw this last week. I don't think anyone really was talking about this too much, but that mm-hmm. opening drive, he was doing tackle over a ton. He was moving Walter Rouse over onto the right side. Um, and then he he didn't really run onto that side. He was doing a lot of different passing concepts off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was it was really interesting. It feels like that's something that uh, this team will come back to. Uh, we saw some other wrinkles where uh, I want to say it was... I want to say it was Javante Barnes who was running like an orbit motion like you would normally see like a Drake Stoops doing. And then mm-hmm. I think it was Andrew Anthony that was lined up as a running back at one point or one of the receivers. Um, so you just saw a lot of unique things that Jeff Levy didn't really – he didn't really utilize, but he showed a different formation or a different concept sure. uh, for defensive staff to think about of like, whoa, what, like what could he be planning out of this? Like what – what could we see that he wasn't showing us uh, from what he right. showed against Arkansas State? So, and you know, Adam, there's there's going to be a lot of eyes. Everybody's going to be watching. You know, the matchup between whether it's Ginger Williams or Woody Washington on Jordan Hudson. They're going to be watching Oklahoma's front seven against L.J. Johnson or, or Jalen Knight. But I think that a sneaky good one-on-one matchup that I'm really gonna we're really gonna get a good sense of where this guy is at. There's been so much hype. He had a really good performance a week ago against Arkansas State, <clears throat> and that's the center Andrew Rain. From everything that we've heard, whether it's from Gabe Eicher, whether it's from Bill Beanball, Andrew Rame is playing the best football of his collegiate career at Oklahoma, and he has a matchup on Saturday. I, I talked about the fact that they're going to run a 3-3-5 defense. They're going to line the nose tackle up right over the center, and you've got Jordan Miller, the redshirt senior, the transfer from Miami, six foot four, 330 pounds. That's a, that's a Texas-sized nose guard, like what uh, Oklahoma's going to face in the Cotton Bowl. So I'm very excited to watch uh, how Andrew Rame, you know, utilizes his skill set against the size and the physicality that Jordan Miller in this SMU, you know, front line is going to bring to the table on Saturday. But, again, a 3-3-5, if you're able to identify – the guys, especially at the second level, the linebackers, you can get your guards up there to block those linebackers. With some of the different schemes that Oklahoma does running the football against a 3-3-5 defense, that, that, that fits right into what Jeff Levy's wheelhouse is. So if Oklahoma can, can block things up and they can match things up, expect a big day, not just Dylan Gabriel throwing the football down the field, but expect a big day from you know the, the likes of Tawi Walker or even Gavin Salchuk. This might be the GS game that we see for the uh, – the kid out of Valor, Colorado. I won't ask your score prediction right now. We'll save that for the very end of the podcast. But I did go to Twitter. Uh, we did ask, you know, hey, what score yeah. do you want to see from this matchup against SMU that will tell you not that, hey, you know, just not just OU winning, but what will tell you that we're on the right path. We're on the right direction, mm-hmm. trajectory here in year two under Venables. Uh, because this is the <clears> biggest <throat> test that, that we've seen in the post or in the uh, non-conference play between the two years of Venables. And we got over 150 different responses so far in, what, two and a half hours or so. Uh, so obviously we can't read all those. A lot of differing opinions. I'm, I'm almost kind of concerned that the fan base has wildly different expectations for what uh, you know this game should turn out as. But I think generally speaking, and we saw several people say roughly anywhere where OU scores over 40 points and holds SMU to 20 or less points. Do you kind of fall in that? that camp there or do you think uh, there's a different score that you're looking for that will tell you yes success is is happening if oklahoma scores 40 plus and they limit smu's offense to say 17 or less 
I will feel really good about the state of this Oklahoma football team. As good as you possibly can feel going up against future ACC member, that, that is the SMU Mustangs. Uh, but, yeah, if, if you can score 40-plus, limit the big plays, contain Preston Stone, and hold SMU to below 20, I think that's a really good showing from this Oklahoma defense. I'll agree with you there, and I'll add to it as well. Uh, one of the stats we saw after this weekend was I think that OU had three or four missed tackles the entire game against the Red Wolves. Mm-hmm. If OU can keep that relatively sim- similar, maybe like six, seven at most, something like that, yeah. I think you can feel really good about, okay, yeah, this this defense is in the right place. Uh, because that's often how missed tackles uh, occur is guys out of position late to the ball, so on and so forth. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so if, or you can continue to limit that, I think uh, you'll see, you'll be able to see, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of progress happening here. Well, and let's be realistic too. SMU is going to get theirs. They're going to have their fair share of successful plays down the field. I mean, uh, the three players that we alluded to LJ Johnson, uh, Jalen Knight and Jordan Hudson, those were all three players that were either committed to Oklahoma at one point or three guys that Oklahoma was desperately trying to get the commitment from uh, for them to play their football in Norman, Oklahoma. So they've got some athletes, particularly out on the perimeter. It's just a matter of can they use this week of preparation and practice uh, to, to put together a good game plan and go out there on Saturday and just execute defensively uh, and shut down SMU. My favorite part of the podcast, it's time for our bets of the week. Last week we tied. We made money. We made money. We, we made we money. Go. But between you and I, we are tied at three and two on the year. Uh, still week one, so we got a long way to go. But Tyler, what's your uh, number one bet uh, for week two? I'm doing something a little bit different this week. I'm actually usually for some of these bets, you try to find maybe a sleeper team or maybe a game that's kind of off the radar to to, to try to pick up an easy win. But I've actually got five of the premier premier games in college football week two this upcoming Saturday. Pick number one for me. I'm staying right here in the state of Colorado, going up to Boulder. This line baffles me. The fact that Vegas only has Colorado as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They put up close to 50 points uh, against TCU. Nebraska couldn't get a, couldn't get out of their own way. You almost feel like that's a program that's cursed right now. They just they figure out ways to fumble the ball to find a way to lose a game. 26 losses by uh, a touchdown or less in the last five years. So give me Colorado to cover the two-and-a-half in Dion's first game uh, up there at Boulder. You're you're off of Dion's bad side after picking the buffs to uh, get uh, handled by TCU last week, and now you're on his good side. So that just doesn't make any sense to me. Two and a half. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's essentially I mean home home field advantage is worth three points, so it's essentially a pick 'em if you would have it at a neutral site. Yeah, I, I stayed far away from that. I feel like this. I feel like week two is almost harder than week one because mm-hmm. we had no data points in week one. Now I feel like we have half the teams with bad data points and half the teams with like good data points. And so it's just, it's hard to read on a lot of things. Um, My number one though, I'm going with New Mexico state playing at Liberty. Uh, Liberty is a 10 and a half point favorite. I think the flames are going to be able to cover that easily. They ran away with the game against Bowling Green, had a uh, a blocked field goal that got returned for a touchdown. So that game really wasn't as close as it was last week. Caden uh, Salter, the quarterback there, originally scheduled to go to Tennessee, but ended up uh, in Liberty with Jamie Chadwell. He looks like a great fit for that offense and kind of a little bit of a revenge game for the Flames. Last year, uh, this was like the final game of the regular season for Liberty, and it got word got out before that game that Hugh Freeze was headed to Auburn, and that game was just was so ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think... I think the Flames want some revenge against uh, the Aggies of New Mexico State. 
I like it. Pick number two for me, I'm going out to Lubbock, Texas, Big 12 country. Oregon, six-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against the Red Raiders. Texas Tech kind of backed into a corner here coming off of the week one loss in Laramie to Wyoming. Oregon scored 80-plus points in week one. Now, again, you might say this is a little bit of a trap line. Texas Tech coming off of a loss. They really have nothing to lose. They're playing desperate. Um I think Oregon is too good across the board. The fact that I can get this under seven was all that was enough reason for me. So give me the Ducks to cover the six and a half uh, and beat Texas Tech on Saturday night. Joey McGuire starting the year out 0-2, looking forward to Big 12 play. Let's go. I'm going to one of our old friends, actually a pair of our old friends for pick number two. I've got Florida Atlantic at home against Ohio. Tom Herman, Casey Thompson, uh, teaming up there and Boca Raton. Uh, Owls are a five and a half point favorite. Ohio, a very good MAC team, but still a MAC team, and might be coming in without their their star quarterback Curtis O'Rourke. So, uh, give me the Owls here to cover. Nice pick number three for me. I'm going to the side of College Game Day this week, the premier game of the week two slate. Texas traveling to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Crimson Tide, a seven point favorite right now as we sit here on Tuesday, September fifth. And I've gone back and forth on this one. I thought that for the longest part, Texas, I was actually going to pick them to win this game in Tuscaloosa. But there's too many things that I've seen out of Quinn Ewers over the last 12 to 15 games, especially games that are played on the road. Everybody remembers his horrific performance on the road in Stillwater a year ago. Doesn't play his best brand of football. I think that Alabama, they've heard all the talk in the offseason. Sark's coming back to Alabama. They've heard all the chatter that Texas should have won that game in Austin a year ago. Jalen Milrose, your starting quarterback. I think that this game is competitive for the better part of three and a half quarters, but I think that Alabama scores a touchdown late uh, to put this one past seven points. So give me the Tide minus seven. Yeah, I like that one. I'm, I had Oregon and Texas Tech on here, and it felt like easy money. And so I was like, you know what? This week I will take the bait on that. But now that you've picked that, I'm changing my pick here because uh, I'd, I'd rather make up some ground with you and, and get a different game on the board. And I just saw that James Madison's line has changed. Used to be seven. Now it's down to six. So give me the Dukes minus six at UVA. Virginia, first home game since uh, their season abruptly ended last year. Um, They're having some memorials before the game uh, in memory of some of those uh, players that that lost their lives there. Um, Their quarterback, Tony Musket, he may or may not play. And the Dukes are a very good team. Those players probably all got recruited over. They probably would have liked to have played at Virginia. They ended up in Harrisonburg playing for the Dukes. Um, So they're, they're highly motivated there. Uh, I think that they'll be able to beat Virginia uh, pretty handily. It's kind of crazy that they're a favorite in Charlottesville. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't think so. But uh, Virginia's, they're down bad right now. So I'll I'll take the Dukes. Solid choice there. Pick number four for me, I'm going down to the state of Louisiana, Tulane playing host to Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. Rebs are a seven-point favorite right now going up against Michael Pratt's team. And this is kind of another one where – it feels like it's too good to be true, but sometimes you don't want to overcomplicate things. You don't want to overthink it. Go with what you know. Go with your gut. Give me Ole Miss to cover the seven points against Tulane on Saturday in uh, in New Orleans. I've got, uh, for my number four here, I'm going Auburn at Cal. A little Pac-12 after dark. It kind of a funny note. Cal played at North Texas to open their season last week and put up 59 points. Auburn with Hugh Freeze's offense, I think 
these teams can combine for a lot of points, especially after the sun goes down uh, in Berkeley. So I'm taking the over on 54 and a half here. I, li- I like that as well. I think that's a good one. A lot of points. Uh, Hugh Freeze going out to Pac-12 country. Uh, pick number five for me. Uh, I've told myself that I should not bet on OU games because that's when emotion gets in the way of reason. And for that reason, I'm going to stay away from it. I'm going to go down to Coral Gables, Miami playing host to Texas A&M, Connor Wegman, Jimbo, Bobby Petrino. I think they've got it figured out offensively, looking at what they did and the way that that offense performed a week ago. They're only given four and a half to the Hurricanes, but I think that that's just enough. They're more talented across the board. They've got the advantage of quarterback play. Give me the Aggies to cover the four and a half. I like that one. I almost considered it. The only thing that gave me pause was Miami looked good against Miami last week. Yeah, <laughs> Miami behind true. So. Uh, We'll see. That should be a good game. My number five, I was going to this game long before Trump was. I'm going Iowa at Iowa State here. Uh, I'm doing it because I'm a sicko. I want to see it. I'm taking the under 36 and a half here. Both these teams got outgained uh, by Utah State and by Northern Iowa in their Mm -hmm. their week one openers. Iowa State rolling out a young quarterback, uh, maybe two quarterbacks there. I just, I, I could honestly see Iowa shutting out the Cyclones here. I don't think that they're going to have all that much success. Um, Really, either team offensively. Iowa being Iowa and not being able to score 25 points per game. And then Iowa State with all the players that they've lost, the talent uh, from the betting scandals. Uh, So I just don't see too many points there. 36.5 is a low number, especially for a rivalry game. But why not? Let's just do it. (laughs) Give me the under there. (laughs) <laughs> time for uh score predictions tyler what you got for ou versus smu what's your final score prediction i think that this is going to be a game where smu is going to is going to throw everything at, at the kitchen sink at oklahoma they're going to try to figure out a way to to get, make this game competitive get it into the second half with a chance to win it but i think that oklahoma led by dylan gabriel they're going to get some stops the late defensively and i think that they're going to do just enough to cover the number give me ou 49 smu 24 Nice. I've got OU 41, SMU 20. I think it's a comfortable win from for OU from the very end of the first quarter on, really. I think OU is able to jump out to a pretty sizable lead and kind of hold them at arm's distance throughout the rest of the game. I just think OU is able to close this out a little bit better than we saw them in years prior, or really just last year with Brent Venable's teams. But I think OU is able to, to hang on to the lead a little bit better. I think it's going to come down to how effective are they going to be in the run game. And Gavin Sawchuk's going to be a big piece of that, in my opinion, um, just having him back in the fold there. So give me OU 41, SMU 20. Nice. You don't have to give me an exact score prediction, but Alabama-Texas – Mm, who wins man. and by how many points roughly based on week one's performance i would have said alabama by like 20 or so but i know that texas is notorious for playing their best ball in these types of situations and i'm sure they game planned a ton for alabama and not much for rice so i i don't know i i think i would take the tide like 34 to 24 or so that's a safe bet. That's seven to ten range. Hopefully, it's at least eight uh, for for the people that are betting <laughs> on this game. So that does it for me, Adam. Let's get out of here. Yeah. yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Find us on Twitter as well at the Mainline Pod, and make sure you support those who support the Mainline Podcast by supporting CrimsonCaptain.com. And we will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast. Nice.